वेलकम टू सिंटॉक Talkers around the table today discuss the everything of theory. We'll think about the nature and scope of theories and theoretical reflection about the world in general. We'll dip into ideas from physics, philosophy, mathematics, literary theory, and more. Are all theories, in a sense, artistic creations? Why does the significance of theory wax and wane over time? Is there a link between theory and experience? What is not a theory and what are the limits of theory? And what is the ultimate criterion of a good theory, prediction or explanation? We'll also wonder about the long-term future of theoreticity. We are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers around the table today. Dr. Partho Pratim Ghosh, who is interested in category theory and is now at ISI and will soon be joining UNISA in Johannesburg. Professor Pramod Nair, who teaches English at the University of Hyderabad, and Professor Urjit Yagnik, who teaches physics at IIT Bombay. and is interested in all the basic questions Urjit, maybe we set the ball rolling with you um, to understand in a very broad way, and we'll 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 um, open it as we go along. How theories come to be, um, and what is a theory the way you see it? And yeah, well, so I think theories, as we now know them, seem to have some entities in them and some correlations between those entities, mm-hmm. and then some process by which things evolve. and ultimately most of the theories we have have to have something to do with evolution in time uh, and whether so we like to predict something using a theory mm-hmm. but i do include within the broad idea of when you say evolution in time you mean this predictability this yes yes desire to look into the future that's right mm-hmm. so okay. if if you you would like to have a good theory for earthquakes you know yes. for obvious reason Mm. Uh, it would not be so similarly but i think i would draw that there is another category if i may say so of uh, uh, knowledge which also you would call theoretical uh-huh. where you organize things into a framework uh-huh. where there are entities and there are correlations as in mathematics the axiomatic structure but there is no requirement to quote predict but the, rather there is a requirement to bring internal consistency and then Mm-hmm. arrive at some result mm-hmm. so broadly i think of all of these things together as theory and when you say entities what yes. what are these these are concepts these are N- yeah so entities are the main players of the uh, of the theory mm-hmm. so either it is some material or it is a person or it is uh, you know earth be, be below your feet it is an entity which is going to move without a warning so uh, you know or wind or rain so all these are entities and they do something in time there are clouds mm. so uh, all of this is entity but then there are entities are correlated in some way like you stand on the ground or uh, you uh, switch on a switch to get an electron going mm-hmm. so you control the electron in some way so all of these are uh, relations between those entities and then there are processes that happen so what would you say is a theoretical term um let's say is is it's electron a theoretical conception or um what, actually what is theoretical I, would, would, yes, would would, would, would I be i personally think that that kind of question really diverts from the core of this i think it's a more colloquial sure. thing to say 
that's purely theoretical sure so this is for people who are not used to theory <laughs> right but i i think that that's a conversational thing if you okay. really want to speak of theory there are a lot of theoretical things mm-hmm. and they are not at all abstract in the sense of i mean let us firstly say that articulating anything at all mm-hmm. is necessarily an abstraction right because you are taking away some essence of certain things you see in front of you mm-hmm. break it up into parts i have three persons in front of me you know mm. um so it starts with that so is it a and none of, of that is mm. that is not theoretical i i mean you are not a theory you know sure. you are there in front of me you are there sure. in front of me so entities are entities and there yeah, but, are, mm. i agree that there are many levels of abstraction mm-hmm. and from the very concrete to say something like a functor or something in mathematics it would sure. also be an entity but uh, i wouldn't put it down as something different from entity in any other theory right 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 so it's some kind of model making almost definitely definitely it's it is certainly very much all theory is effectively model making mm. um i mean my prime example was the sun rising every day and yeah. all human beings and all living world knows it but then human being goes ahead and tries to say that something must be moving you know something must be happening yeah uh, the firmament as people used to earlier say the sky goes around us yeah. carrying all these planets with it yeah but then you come with quote better theory yeah where you say oh no no it is actually the sun which is so big it's there and then we are all going around it so you But have a refinement in the theory how do you come to that um, some observations that kind of go contra to your theory to begin with obviously there are different journeys no, of different I, theories no i think that there is a need for refinement mm-hmm. uh, mostly driven through human evolution just to improve you know human beings uh, life survival and comforts so uh, the egyptians had a way of predicting when the nile floods by looking at the rising of the sirius which is the brightest star in the sky but eventually you want to know what sirius is now we know what sirius is we know there are uh, billions of stars out there and sirius is just one of them and yeah. so on yeah. so the theories undergo refinement over time as human beings need them and if you don't need those things just languish they just remain for a very very long time that's how suddenly some fields just break out into something new uh, whereas some uh, so you know, have been explored way, for a very long time right in a way are you saying that a perfect theory doesn't come to be straight away so it's it's a constant process are you saying that or no it's, i think all of theory is a process mm-hmm. all theories are processes mm-hmm. and all theories may ultimately get canned <laughs> you know <laughs> sure So and obviously there are many examples right. and also because the context may go away mm. i mean you no longer need to look at the serious the dog star to know when the nile is going to flood you know you know much 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 more about how the nile is behaving just by looking at google map or something so that's interesting the, yeah so theories all evolve they become irrelevant they become obsolete they get overtaken it's sure. a process the whole thing is a process it's a big dialectic Sure, sure. Partho, what is theory? What is a mathematical theory, and in what sense is it different, distinct, similar to what we've been discussing so far? Well, I'll be only speaking about mathematical theories, mm-hmm. and well, mathematics then is all of it is just a theory. So we have theory for symmetries, on one hand. On the other hand, theories for linearity. we have theories for continuity smoothness and so there are several parts yeah and then again theory of all of them taken together uh-huh so everything is a theory and uh, well obviously uh, any knows no none of those theories are completely known to this date and in what sense of the word do you use the word theory is it i mean because we spoke about model making in the sense of trying to establish causality trying to predict um, it in uh, mathematics it doesn't work in no, much the same way doesn't no, it no it doesn't work in that same way mm-hmm. but uh, on the other hand what happens is obviously 
we phrase certain initial rules and initial axioms, mm-hmm. but those axioms obviously come up through practice, through long practice in the computations of them. Mm-hmm. And that's when we kind of formalize, crystallize into some a list of axioms. But this is kind of a meta level. It is not the mathematical theory. When we speak about the theory of uh, symmetries, well, today we know that there are four or five axioms which started. But to come to this crystalline form of four or five things, it took centuries of work. Right. But that is not the theory of symmetries. It's the development of that to come to that. Mm -hmm. But the theory of symmetries, obviously, what happens is we have those five axioms and then we put it inside a black box, which is usually called the logic. Uh It does some magic and churns out your provable statements. So... The moment you put in, so it's as crystal clear as this, that there is this beautiful magical box where you put in these axioms and the list comes out. But whether that whole list of provable statements is known to you today, that is a big question. You may not know. But uh, would it be fair to say that formulation of the Euclidean system of axioms and theorems with the primary goal of proving the Pythagoras theorem is a sort of a paradigm that has served through the centuries for, yes. you know, something you learn from practice, some, yes. some things you have already discerned, uh, yes. but it seems so mysterious and mystical that you want to break it down break into it more down, elementary yes. concepts. And then bring up with a, with a very nice, within quotes, a simple looking, elegant, few nascent truths. Bringing up this is the toughest part of the story. But once you bring that up and push it inside that black box, and this black box does the magic. But but you know, Partha, what I'm intrigued by is that you say axioms goes into this black box which works logic on it. Axioms are logical to begin with in some sense. Uh, uh, um, what does logic tell you about? Mm-hmm. Firstly, logic tells you that what are the things that is we this are... process of keeping it consistent and yes, yes. Firstly, it tells you it delineates you you from arbitrary use of language. It tells you this A B C D. These are the things that we can use in this theory. Yeah. It's, it has its own grammar. It yes, it's, it specifies a grammar. Yes. The moment it specifies a grammar, it then first tells you what are its meaningful words, meaningful, and then it tells you how to combine those words, what are its meaningful sentences. Yeah. And then meaningful, obviously, is, is a way to assign some kind of truths. Yeah. So basic truth sentences. That's what it gives you immediately. But it doesn't tell you, uh, it tells you one more thing. From basic true statements, how do you generate the next level of uh, true statements? By this generation, I mean the proof system. That is, so these are the three things that the logic formally gives you. So I, I put it in this black box. Now, When you are speaking about, so let's for the time being fix our logic to be classical Boolean logic. What do you you mean by that? What do you mean by classical Boolean logic? It's either true or false. Yes. Firstly, it has two values, truth values, true and false. But more importantly, the negation of false is true and the negation of true is false. Yes. Or double negation works. Double negation works. Mm-hmm. So that's the most important part of it. But there could be other kinds of logic. There yes, could be for instance, logic. You, you could have intuitionistic logic where double negation may not be uh, true. Mm-hmm. So intuitionistic logic, yet it still has two values. Sure. But double negation is ne- no more true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it is a completely different way, ball game than the usual. So let's first say that sure. we have this. And then you put in the few uh, crystalline forms of geometry or whatever, mm-hmm. or symmetry that you put in, 
put inside this black box of classical logic and it churns out all the theories, all the true statements about symmetry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that is the theory of symmetry. So the uh, conceptually we know it is there. But we may, we may not be knowing exactly all the true statements. That is, well, that is kind of mortal grossness. <laughs> mortal grossness and the way to the... Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Pramod, maybe we jump to you. And, you know, when, when we think of this somewhat syntactic slash semantic way of uh, working with axioms, applying logic on it, having a set of truth statements, that being a cyclical process almost of constant revision, sometimes working over centuries... Do languages come to be in a manner which is similar? I mean, how do you how do you conceive of theory in a broad way in the world of literature, literary theory, and well, yes, other um, things, areas that you've been thinking of? I would think of theory as something that is that could be explanatory but also speculative. Mm-hmm. It may give us answers as to why some things happen, but it can also enable you to hold something far, far removed from available knowledge. So it will offer us the what-if option as well. Exactly. What if this could also be done? Right. What if the human were of a different kind? What if the conceptualization of the earth has been wrong? And what if there could be a different model of life? Can we envisage a model of life that is not carbon-based? So theory is at once explanatory, as in it explains why human beings behave the way they do, um, which would be moral philosophy and moral theory, but also about what you could perhaps imagine humans can be made to do. So it's at once explanatory. It's, it's which amazing gives us a causal, that you use speculative. Yeah, mm. uh, which is why I think of theory. It answers a question you asked somewhere later, whether it's creative and artistic. Yes, mm-hmm. to be able to even find causes requires a leap of imagination, which is what I would think all theory does, whether it's in math or in physics or hardcore biology. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe if you do this and this, we will perhaps get this. That's an act of imagination, an act of faith, depending on whose side you're on. But it still means to be able to imagine the end result or a cause, an alternate world, an alternate conceptualization itself needn't necessarily be founded on or based upon what we now know. This is uh, the kind of concepts we are working with. This is the amount of knowledge we have. But the what if could be based on completely unavailable knowledge, not knowledge available to us, provable knowledge available to us at this moment in time. What would you say has been a speculative theory? Well, Cosmogony in the initial stages, he used the example of Sirius, was speculative at one point. Is that what influences the tides? Yeah. Is this the arrangement of the world that helps us find direction because there is, eventually you discover a magnetic pole and, and things like that. Theory begins as an act of speculation in these cases as well, doesn't Would it? Would you say that? Would you say that, Partho, when you do maths, do you start yes, with... Yes, yes, I actually kind of... Are the axioms speculative to begin no, with? No, not the axioms. Okay. So, so what I is? would not write quite change the axioms for symmetry, but suppose I change the logic. That's where his what if comes into the picture. So, for instance, I know for numbers, if we accept our usual model or world of sets uh, or Boolean logic, mm-hmm. uh, then we know that there are uncountable real numbers. Yeah. But if we change that basic logic from a to a constructive universe, we know that there are only countably many real numbers. Mm. So the notion of real numbers change. But what does that do? You're changing the logic. How does that change the theory or whatever you're working with? Yes, that's the real intricate part of the story, Mm -hmm. which I don't want to come into why it changes suddenly from constructive to non-constructive, why suddenly the uncountable part gets into the picture. It is because of that uh, duality between truth and false. Mm. In the duality between truth and false, you seem to select too many options And on the other hand, when you have to select by constructions, you cannot do so many, you cannot throw away so many things. So that's why you get only countably many real numbers. 
And sure. if you change to other forms of uh, logic, you have several different forms of the very well-known system of numbers. So his question could be like this. Suppose I want my numbers to have properties. So exactly, yes. A, B, C, D, E. Hmm. So you, you, you kind of goal-seek. You say that if this were to be the output, or if this yes. were to be the cause... Then where does it lead us? Then, then what, what should the assumptions be? deduction system. Right. Does it change the logic as well? Yes, yes, yes. It does. It does. Because you're looking at an entirely different process if you change the premises on which that yes. logic begins to operate. The point I was trying to make is when we say this is an observable fact, the idea of what is observable is itself a theoretical construction. Mm-hmm. That this is observable. Before 1655 when Robert Hooke invented the microscope, the idea of the observable was very minimal. Mm. You could see things out there, but you couldn't see what was inside you. So the idea that this is an observable category is itself theory, that this can be observed and this can't be. Uh, you will speak about subatomic particles who can, that can be perceived only in their effects, but are not observable in the traditional sense of what observation means. In the contemporary physics laboratory, the idea of observation, the notion of observation is itself completely different from what it used to be. That means the theory of observation itself has changed. So the category of the observable has changed. Yeah, but the theory around what is observable, that that's more or less static, right? I mean, our, our instruments get finer. Our, um, I, I, but that's because we are refining what we think we need to observe. Sure. Isn't sure, it? Sure, sure. I need to now observe the microprocesses of a cell. Mm-hmm. Previously, it was because now we uh, the theory is these explain several things in nature. Let me ask you this, Pramod. What is a theoretical term for you? Let's say in 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 areas that you're familiar with, a term, and let's anything that organizes my perception. Okay, so let's pick let's pick any word, any any any, any imagination term. as a word. Okay, would be a theoretical term. Okay, because it organizes. Suppose I say. I'm imagining this book. It organizes my perception of this. Or I'm imagining this setting. But I'm also able to convert it into something larger. Can I imagine a different world order? It organizes my perception of what is wrong with it because then it quickly replaces the world as it is to what the world ought to be. That's a theoretical term I'm using to say that this is the world as it exists now. Mm. This could be the world as it ought to exist. Ought to would be an ethical point. Yeah, so but, that's sure, an but there's some kind of normativity to that. I mean, yeah, sure. Ought so that's that's mm. why I think of it as a theoretical term. Mm. Yeah, but mm. I, I think you would have something what to say about that. What is a theoretical term? What is a theoretical? He spoke about the angle of uh, theories being a creative construct. Sometimes, would you agree to that, Ojit? Yes. Uh, I mean, for example, I mean, let's say the laws of gravitation. There is a very close parallel between invention and making something by hand and theorizing, Mm -hmm. you know. And in many senses, theory is really like making a cart go, you know. You you have to go from (laughs) here to there. So you You first discovered something that can roll, then you say, oh, I can put two of them together, I can make an Excel and so on. And then you made a chariot. Now, theories are also often like that. You know, you come up with some ideas and then you say, but I need to, you know, actually predict whether it's going to rain next year or not. And then I keep improving my model and my theory. It's more inventions rather than discoveries. So, so yes, I think theories are a process of invention in a way. And um, they are, as you rightly asked, they are a creative process. Interesting. So it's quite likely that all the theories that we live with, had they been invented by different people, it could have been something else. Very possibly. Very much possible. And in different contexts, so depending on what which was needed at what time. It's, it's very difficult to get one's arms around that. Like if Newton had not thought of uh, somebody else might gravitation have. or whatever. I would beg to differ there. Please. I will say that... Uh, So it brings up another point. I hope I'm not digressing too much. But primarily, I think as the complexity of the entities you look at grow, Mm -hmm. the theories become more, less predictive. They become more uncertain or more subjective. Sure. Whereas as you get closer to very basic things like particles, basic forces, 
energy, the immaterial world and um, what primarily consists of the subject of physics, I don't think there can be many differences. Regardless of who invented them or who formulated them, there could not be much of a difference. In the more complex in the, theories. In the, in the, in basic, the simpler level. In the, at the basic levels. level, theories would have to be more or less unique. There is not much you can do. But as you get to more complex things like, say, anthropology or, you know, a study of societies and so on, there the angle from which you so want to So what would you say, at. let's say, if we stick to physics for a, for a while, what is a basic theory in physics? Let us say electromagnetism is a good example. So it doesn't uh, which matter we whether... know in a very fairly finished way. Sure. And I don't think you can do very much, very much of a different uh, reconstruction of electromagnetic theory. Sure. So e even in its most basic form, you know, whichever way Faraday or Maxwell or whoever may have conceived of it, if it was someone else, it would the theory would still be the same today. Yes, Similar. that's right. And but we also recognize the fact that even the existing so-called finished theory does have several parallel ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. So since you mentioned Faraday and uh, um, Ampere, people like this, they were actually physically dealing with some wires, magnets, moving one thing. Now that cannot be changed. Any human being who waves a magnet in front of a coil is going to get some current into that coil. Now Faraday began to think in terms of lines of force. Now we think in terms of so-called fields, you know, local... Uh, field, so which is more like a tangent vector to that line of force. Yeah. So you have parallel descri descriptions. You might like to think in terms of lines of force. You might like to think in terms of electromagnetic vector. You might like to think in terms of electromagnetic potential. So there are two or three, four descriptions. But ultimately, there cannot be too much more of it. This is all there is that you can use as your basic, uh, basic, you know, mind constructs, the psychological constructs that go into it and the kind of laws that you come up with so would let's be say pretty much unique. But isn't it true that uh, one needs to constantly move beyond the basic to a more complex situ situations and conditions for explanations? I mean, you can't just deal with, okay, here is a wire and here is a magnet and this generates this. Primarily because existence which includes all forms of life and the planet or whatever you want to call it, is not basic. It, it's, it's far more complex than that. So, which is why the point I was trying to make that eventually it will have to offer explanations for more and more complex things. And which is where theory begins to get either complex or complicated. Uh, because it's no longer enough to offer basic explanations. Like you just said, the basic explanations have been offered for basic things. But things are no longer basic, uh, if they ever were. Yeah, so I think as uh, you begin to look at more complex systems, mm. the entities that you think in terms of also become more complex. Exactly. And the relations become little more vague sometimes, or they are of qualitatively different nature than the relations that would have been associated with the more elementary versions of them. And which is how theory emerges, because if you said, okay, these are subatomic particles or these are the basic units, right. increasingly you discover that you cannot deal with them as those basic units. Long. We need to think in terms of dynamics. If you, you your example was of uh, anthropology, the proper study of mankind is man, said the 18th century poet Alexander Pope. But you see, that is the whole problem. You cannot study mankind man. as just as man. You think of them in terms of large conglomerations. Absolutely. So you cannot think of um, man as just X quantity and then... So the, the basic theory to me always is, is rather small in, in what it eventually grows into. Yes, it offers basic explanations, but phenomena are never basic, just basic, are they? Well, so I would just give two quick examples. Uh, because I don't want it to become physics lecture, but you know, <laughs> Maxwell's equations are uh, what most working physicists would say full formulation of classical electromagnetism. But if you look at electrical circuits, it's a specialization and it is sort of almost an autonomous theory. You can even forget about the uh, Yeah, you know, mm. so you can just write circuit laws and in terms of impedance, resistance, current, and so on. So here is a very good example where theory has completed different versions. But in fact, the circuitry makes it a little bit simpler because the context in which you are looking is simpler. But you could then jump on to say, how does electricity function in a uh, living cell? Mm. 
Yeah. You know, there are many electrical impulses passing between yeah. uh, between cells within yeah. the nucleus and so on. And then the questions would be much more complex. And there you would need completely different, you know, basic uh, elements of thought would be different from either of the two examples I gave before. I have a qualifier to what you were saying about creativity. Yes. Actually, the, if, if you look at the history of the terms, uh, the word technique, T-E-C-H-N-E. -E. Yeah. It meant both artisan and artistry. It's in the early modern period where the division of knowledge begins to move into the natural sciences and the arts yeah. uh, poetica. That it, so artist and artisan were originally the same. They meant just one thing. Tekini means craft. The word actually means craft, and which is why you use the word craft. It struck me that it was interesting to see that, that it's crafting. So when the artisan makes a pot, when the poet makes a poem, or the physicist designs something... As theory and praxis. I mean, it, it, yes. It, yeah. so, but the notion is still about something creative. It's crafting. Mm. So th th this is just a kind of history lesson, basically. Sure. But that, that's, that's the important thing to note about theory. It, it's, it's very creative. But you use the word normative. So if, if you have something... Yeah, uh, if there is some, some more thing... About this creativity part, yes, the creator comes into the picture very much when the creativity creeps in. Uh, I'll give examples. Again, for say Newton was an excellent physicist. Yeah, he completely revolutionized the way physics was thought prior to him and so on. But Newton was very poor as far as the mathematics is concerned. He wanted to develop. A uh, way to think about rate of change. Infinitesimal change, calculus. Yeah. The infinitesimal, he, he, it was not his uh, forte. Mm. He spoke <laughs> in terms of fluxions, uh. of ratios and so on. And he got out some kind of a machinery in which his answers were obtained. He was it right. was working. It was working. It was working for him and he was happy. On the other hand, uh, Leibniz, yeah. almost at the same time, was thinking about small changes. Yeah. And he came up with the notion of infinitesimals. Yeah. Okay, at that time he was questioned very seriously and he couldn't, he was even considered as a mad person uh, because he couldn't give an example of an infinitesimal. But later on in 1960, Abraham Robinson found out that what Leibniz had done was at least 200 years ahead of, its time. ahead of his time, he had discovered non-Archimedean systems and crampling of those non-Archimedean systems to the real line. And then uh, later, further later on in mid-70s, Lavier came up with a several different versions of this infinitesimal geometry. And today it is very well known as synthetic differential geometry. Uh, tell me, when Leibniz thinks of the infinitesimal, is is this a purely theoretical endeavor or is solving yes. a problem? Yes. yes. He yes. finds this an is unexpected. Completely theoretical. In fact, my take generally is that uh, people complain and scream when it comes to quantum mechanics. Mm. But even classical mechanics is full of so many completely intangible things mm. yeah. that people just swallow, you know. Such that what? Certain limits exist, you know. Yes. Uh, that delta x by delta t exists, which mm. actually means you have to keep sh stopping Guessing your stopwatch stop <laughs> at shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter times, which is impossible. Nobody is ever going to do it. So it is only a thought experiment. But I just want to quickly say something because I it's just... <laughs> about Newton, he was also very bad with logic because his th <laughs> three laws are also interdependent and yes. arbitrary. That uh, you know, and the third law is not even completely correct. Which is why so, I use the word speculator. So, but <laughs> it doesn't. But it's, but, but it's still a wonderful but it, framework. But it's know, also it's an explanation, in terms of which, which is why I think of it in those dual nature things. That it is at once explanatory and speculative. And the reason why theory grows is because you find the previous centuries once just speculative and you need to do something more. That's very interesting. You, you, you use the word process, which I find very interesting because mm. uh, if theory itself is process, then it's an ongoing one. It, oh, yes. It it's yes. Theory is the most revisionist of all because it keeps revising, mm. revisiting. Is Even there, the, are there theories which are done and dusted, never to be touched again? 
pristine. It still immaculate. offers tangential roots out. Well, Euclidean geometry. Is well, a well, well. Project. Euclidean geometry, even <laughs> in its form that it appears today, possibly took centuries. It are, we done? Even, are we done now? You've taken a few centuries. So. No, no. It, it started off possibly even earlier than the Rig Vedas. Yeah, of course. It's been uh, a couple of millennia. That's still a question whether we so are really done. <laughs> Up till now, it seems that, well, that is it. But, but, you'll never but that's run based out of on the existing state of knowledge. Yes. And the existing yes. questions we are asking. Yes. See, the, 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 the process, what uh, he was pointing to, Professor Yagni was pointing to was that the process is based on the kinds of questions you ask of existing theory. Interesting, of course. Uh, because For example. If you, if, you stop, yeah. if you stop asking questions about Euclidean ideas, then it's a done and dusted theory. Mm. If you don't, then you say, oh, there's much more that could possibly come. We well, do yes, not know. Yes, of course, For that example, is the whole history of differential geometry yes. You know, yes. to go beyond Euclid. Yes. More concepts, new concepts were formulated and then... That's a new framework, but for example, even let's say for a triangle, every theory that no, no, could be there about thing. a triangle is a dark. <laughs> I will hold that. That's a finished story. Well, uh, I mean, as far as anything that's to concerned? be known, any property of the triangle that is to be known is known. <laughs> we are done. Can we yeah, say done. that? <laughs> done. <laughs> triangle we can say is that. well understood. So nothing new has no. come up about a triangle in the last 30, 40, 50 years. No. And nothing remains to be done. We can say that with confidence. I, is it, I, can, is it because I can say the same thing of classical electrodynamics. Okay. It took approximately 150 years to develop. But after Maxwell... It's a finished, finished piece of work. It's now finished piece of work as of end of uh, 19th century. And not much is going to change. You can do computer science, you can do photosynthesis, you can explain all the future phenomena. That's very Except for quantum electrodynamics which would come into play only at a different... So how do you identify or characterize a complete done theory? As in the end of a theory. How do you, how, how, how do you give it that stamp well, so of... So you basically have to remember that it addresses a particular domain of phenomena. And if you begin to ask me how to laser beams, when they clash, what happens, that's a quantum mechanical question. But so long as you ask all classical questions... No, sure. I think we mean questions it's, it's of that same framework. Yeah. yeah, within that same framework, it's a complete... But aren't you setting normative yeah. standards then that these are the only kinds of questions you can ask of a theory in order to demonstrate that the end of theory has been reached? No, it's, it's a very interesting question. Yes. So, uh, uh, we, we Partho, when is a theory complete exactly, and consistent? You told me, you told me use that word. Uh, if if uh, all the true statements are provable, I oh, this is no, very that interesting. Be too much. Yes, that's all the. That's <laughs> very the word all. No, 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 no. Let me say. So, my point of interest is a very restricted branch of Euclidean geometry. Very, very restricted. It doesn't go beyond triangles. Okay. Okay. Sure. So my, so now if I consider this small part of Euclidean geometry. Yeah. And I put in inside this classical framework of logic. Yeah. I know what are the true statements. Yeah. I know which can be proved. Yeah. And this turns out to be complete in the sense all the true statements are provable. Mm. That's, that's so very that's interesting. A good point. What yeah. is what is what is completeness? Uh, no, I have a qualifier. Please. It only means that. Given the set of questions you're asking in that restricted domain, the theory is complete. No, this is no. in the context no, no. of... I think I have my, my actions that I'm putting in. For ah. instance, the theory of symmetries, mm -hmm. all possible symmetries, which is known as theory of groups, mm -hmm. that's complete. It's known to be complete. It is proved to be complete. Mm -hmm. But the theory of plane arithmetic, mm -hmm. what we do learn even earlier... It is known to be incomplete. What is incomplete? Why that are some theories incomplete by design? Are some theories by design? Are, are some theories destined to always be incomplete? Yes, that is where go, that you is know what the, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goethe's uh, massive uh, work comes into the picture. He says that well, if you have a theory in which, in some form, your nascent arithmetic can be seen as a subpart, okay? Yeah. Then that theory is destined to be incomplete. 
That means there will be a true statement which cannot be proven. Which cannot be proved. But that is a theory. Which one? What Godel just said. This what you're saying is itself a theory. <laughs> it's a theorem. It's of a meta. It's a meta theorem. It's a meta theorem. Yeah, but that does not take away the fact that it's one explanatory model. Mm. Has has Godel's incompleteness theorem been proven? By definition, yes. it can't be, right? It's no, no, no. The incompleteness <laughs> theorem has been proven. No, that, that theorem has been proven. That, that theorem has been the proven. The point is that it 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 progresses by setting up a correspondence between um, the arithmetic of numbers and uh, logic. What propositional logic? So, if the rules of propositional logic change, that is what you are referring to. Yes. If the rules of propositional logic change, then of course Gödel's theorem is not applicable. So, Urjit, are there theories in physics that are destined to be incomplete? Now that we've heard of a little bit See, about incompleteness. So, the, uh, in physics, we are in a slightly happier situation. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you supposed no, to be unhappy if no. they if they have been proved and done and dusted? Well, <laughs> so okay, so I I have to qualify that a little bit. But by and large, we are always um, always skeptical. We are sure. always hoping for something new to be discovered. Sure. And that we revise our theory. So we are both optimists and uh, skeptics. Skeptics. And in that sense, we are never looking for a perfect theory. But we do look for comprehensive theory. But theory whether... Theory that would... Huh. Sure. But whether or not you look for it... Some, I mean, we just spoke about uh, electrodynamics, for example. You believe that it's complete. Yes. And... And for all practical purposes, everything that needs to be known can be proven if we just take that framework. Exactly. Are there parts of physics, are there sub-branches of physics or any other areas we'll go to, you promote soon, which are destined to be incomplete? I would never say destined to be because physics, as I said, the lucky part in physics is if you explore more, if you refine your process of observation, if you look more into, you look into domains you didn't previously look and so on, you may come up with clues which may help to complete the theory. Sure. So, sure. I mean, in fact, you know, Steven Weinberg has uh, written concluding chapter to his uh, book, I think, on string theory, which is called Theory of Everything, uh, if I'm sure. not mistaken, sure. where he says that, oh, it may well happen that if string theory is the correct explanation of all physics, including quantum gravity, then physics, as we know, within Newtonian paradigm, may come to an end. Right. Newtonian paradigm is this mathematical philosophy of natural sure. phenomena. Sure. And we may see the end of it. Of course, sure. that is his own speculation. Not everyone may agree, but uh, that is one way that, for example, we would have a finished theory and finished um, you know, package of knowledge, and then you never look back at it. But isn't that dependent upon the paradigm you're using? See, within the Newtonian paradigm, it will be done. No, but Pramod, no, what he says is you will have exhausted the Newtonian paradigm. Yes. So, Pramod, yeah, let's yeah. look at arts and humanities, for example. Mm. Literary theory. What does literary theory do? It offers how, explanations and it posits relation for, say, how a what set is, of words might work in a poem. Let's pick any random theorem or its equivalent from literary theory. Well, yes. What I'm saying is theory in literature is an attempt to explain the process of interpretation. Okay. So suppose you have strung four words together, love, dove, and shove, rhyme. Okay. Does that make a poem? Okay. The explanation of that would be a theory of how it works. Does it work as a poem? And you have various ways of looking at it. Somebody would say love, dove, and shove are situated in a conceptualization of the working class as source. That would be a Marxist theory of literature. Right. <laughs> that explains. In another context, people would say love, dove, and shove rhyme right. to the listener. Yeah. And that's a reader response theory of that particular set of words. Yeah. So theory explains causal processes as he began, you know, the process, the dynamics between those words. So is it, likely, is it likely that in the next many decades, centuries mm. or whatever, we'll have a complete theory for what is a poem? No. That doesn't need to be in the first place. No, you wouldn't. So are theories and let's say arts and humanities destined to be incomplete? In, in the sense, in the sense in which we're using it just now. Well, see, we tend to think that we have an explanation given the existing state of knowledge about, say, how language operates. Is there any subfield that is completely understood and is complete? Any subfield? No, I don't. I wouldn't think so. In literature, in no. We might think that, given the existing state of knowledge about how knowledge works and how the mind perceives words and sounds, this is what a poem means. 
as the existing state of knowledge changes that, oh, that is not really how the mind works and that's how sounds come to me, then the notion of a poem itself begins to change, which is precisely why people seem to, even today, discover, oh, actually when you read Shakespeare in this way or you read an 18th century poem in this particular way, it seems to mean entirely new things. It was not perhaps the but way Pramod, it was. Pramod, that's a little disturbing at some level because if, if we think of mathematics or physics for a while, it feels like, and it could mm. be wrong, there's obviously a dogma buried mm. in that question that one is discovering universal truths about something. It could be about a triangle, it could be about the electron, about gravitation. Mm. But if the phenomena that you study mm. itself, both objectively as well as subjectively in, in arts or humanities or whatever, is constantly in a state of flux, mm. then you don't discover any universal truths, do you? Are there universal truths? No. Because the idea of a universal truth is itself a theory that has been propounded for specific purposes. For instance, man is the center of the universe was a universal truth in literary texts up to a point. And that truth is discoverable the European Enlightenment, were universal propositions. Mm. Till you dis it turns out that when they said, this is man and this is the model of man, they were essentially studying white males. Yeah. How universal is a white male? Actually, a very small portion of the planet is constituted by white males. Yeah. So then you discover that the idea of a universal truth founded on your looking at this category called the white male is no longer universal. So given the fact that we are looking at complex phenomena with their own extraordinarily intricate dynamics, you cannot offer a universal explanation for all those processes. But you know, for a particular domain of uh, literature, for example, you take the classical Sanskrit uh, literature of the Gupta period, mm -hmm. you know, where after, after Panini, so the grammar rules are set, everything is known. And... Uh, isn't the drama and poetry of that time kind of finished product about which you could write a sort of complete... Because now, firstly, it's no longer in creation. Mm. So it's sort of a area for which you could have a complete theory. We, they do offer theory of a particular kind to explain one part of it. For instance, in the days, in, the, in an age, in a classroom which wants to depict that particular period in a certain way, you have a theory that explains it in a particular way. Mm -hmm. However, if I want to show that the period in which these texts were composed was extraordinarily patriarchal or racist, mm -hmm. those words can mean different things to us now so or can be made to mean. Okay, So you can see meanings that were not... Yes. The Theories are subjective in your context. Theories it depends are, on what the subject brings to the I table. I would think... Norms in theory or in interpretation come from a consensus or dissensus in an interpretive community. We all agree that this is what it means, which changes over a period of time. So when, for instance, pedagogy, teaching in the classroom, professors and reviewers, creative writers begin to see this in a certain way, a way of seeing which is shared, what is, has been called by reader response critics as interpretive community, you establish a set of norms. This is the way we read this text. This is the way we read this cultural phenomenon. 25 years later, that's no longer valid because what the interpretive community is looking for has also changed. So it's not purely subjective as in, I think so. I share this way of seeing with several other people who all say, this is what we need to look for. Yeah, so it need not be sure, of, yeah. course, of course. So it's, it's, it's constant oscillation between whether I agree with you reading the text in the same way and whether you agree with X and Y. But we all come to some kind of consensus. Yeah, um, maybe you know what? we all would agree at this point in time that this is what the text means. So if we, if we try to draw some kind of semantic similarity between the word norm and axiom, has it ever happened in mathematics, for example, Partho, that you suddenly discover after tens, hundreds, thousands of years that the axioms that you were working off, they just, they just fall away wholesale. It makes no sense. It was just no, some kind of a collective the, prejudice. The point is the moment you throw away those axioms and replace, the theory is anew. Yes. Right. The, the foundations are taken away. Yes, yeah, so the theory then is it's new. it's a new one. I mean, yeah, so the, I, so, yeah, Euclid's so, fifth postulate, you know, yes. that parallel postulate yes. that led to all the revolution. Yes. You remove one. So people at first were actually even worried that they were indulging in blasphemy by <laughs> thinking of such things. Yeah, I mean, Gauss, the didn't, declare his, uh, <laughs> Gauss didn't declare his results because he was worried about hyperbolic spaces existence. Yes. But uh, yes, so people thought that this 
uh, Euclid's fifth postulate, as it is called, the parallels postulate. Sure. That people tried to prove because it looked something geometrical, unlike the other postulates, which were only logical. Mm. But nobody could prove it for many centuries till when people realized that, well, you could replace it by other postulates and then you get a different ge kind of geometry. But, which is what but that doesn't invalidate Euclidean yes. geometry. That's very it just brings into existence a, a new, new branch. New branch. That, that is what I meant when I said that it depends on the frame you're using to read that particular set of axioms or theory. Because the minute you reframe the questions or reframe the paradigm in which the observation is being done, you get different results, postulates, everything changes. It depends on what we need at this point in time. It's an interpretive process. For me, theory is always heretical. It's always blasphemous because it's revisionist. It's because it adds the tangents that you are talking about. You remove a postulate, you replace a postulate, you just ignore a postulate. What <laughs> happens? What happens then? I would rather not give such uh, dark names. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, why don't we spend the last uh, 10, 15 minutes just thinking about the future of theory, theorizing, theoreticity? What is the future, Pramod? In what manner and way could the theory of 500 or 600 years later, a mm. theory, theorizing, meta-theory, whichever terminology we use, how is it likely to be different? I would think as theory evolves, it will answer some questions, prove that the answers to previous questions were wrong, and say that we need a different way of asking those questions. The essential purposes of theory would always be explanatory and speculative in my, in my view, even in the future. It will be revisionist. And one thing that theory does, it allows you to have two opposing thoughts in your head at the same time. Yeah. As a critic Negative has capability. said, yes, you have two entirely different things. And, say, and which is why I began with the what if. What if? Theory will continue to be the, the one domain in which the what if question can be asked. No matter as you, to use your phrase, it has been done and dusted. Yes, it has been put away on the shelf, proved. Reams of paper have been wasted on it, whatever you want to say. But that it will continue to be revisited is built into the theory itself. Artho, is it likely that all mathematics will be done and dusted 500 years out, 1,000 years out, 10,000 years out? Can we? <laughs> you are just anti-disciplinarian. <laughs> you know no. that? Not, not, not just to save jobs of professors. But <laughs> no, 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 no. no. But, but, well, somebody but has to defend them. the trend will change. It has started to change with Hilbert. Okay. It is well known as Hilbert's program. Mm. And then initially it was started off with geometry, axiomatizing geometry. And then it started off with algebra. And then slowly, what the last Bourbaki group says, it is about algebraizing of mathematics. Right. So homological algebra it has now been completely algebraized. Mm -hmm. How to axiomatize the notion of space is another question that is getting slowly or conquering people's minds. So it's more of getting towards algebraization or axiomatization and building of theories. Is it possible to have a meta theory for all the, all the mathematics theories? Uh, yes, there is, a, there is a kind of an understanding. What do we mean by axiomatization? Uh -huh. uh, there is a kind of an understanding. There are several axiomatic setups for the notion of a space. Uh, Well-known axiomatic. But we want some... We still know that this works in this specific case. This works in this specific case. And there is some way that we can understand no, this is not the right thing. Uh, now, what uh, tells us that this is not right, set of axioms, is obviously our inability to use the same into another case. Yeah. This is a test of the story. But uh, so, the, so the impetus is more towards algebraization, understanding... Um, axiomatically, so category theory is possibly one way to come up uh, as a, in the next future, leading future. And you do think of uh, mathematical theories as a process of invention? You yes, yes. Uh, not per se. Sure, not yes, per se in the sense that you... build this theory, 
that's obviously an invention it really takes an ingenious mind a huge amount of experience practice to build that rest agurjit what's the future yeah well i have two thoughts on this and there are two completely different ones Please. so one is that uh, your question as to whether theory itself will come to some kind of end or transformation or replacement yeah that could come from gravity okay. this longest known and most uh, commonly felt phenomenon has turned out to be the most mysterious and as we know it gives rise to the notions within einstein's theory of a beginning of time and an end of time and then we have the universe which is just unique it's just one thing you cannot experiment you can't do repeated experiments so this peculiar situation with gravity at the largest scale seems to be one domain where would as you weinberg say, put it you may be coming to an end of newtonian paradigm would you say gravity is under theorized no i wouldn't say under theorized but it's just that there are certain domains of gravitational phenomena for which we do not have a theory Uh, so maybe you know the big bang and uh, what is the f- far distant future and so on so those are the things that may force you to get out of and considering s- superstring theory hasn't succeeded so far maybe there is something completely different to be done and the other thought that comes to my mind is what um, steven wolfram has been uh, putting out for a while yeah. that if computation gets extremely efficient yeah then you are able to simulate yeah uh, uh, any uh, the answer to any question without having a quote a theory for it of course you'll have to learn to model something you'll have to have some starting you distinguish... point but you may be able to do away with lot of the conceptual baggage and just throw it into a computer and the computer comes out with an answer but isn't what so, the computer doing in that case a kind of theory itself modeling and offering explanations and answers no so with in physics we so it's not a recursive theory okay yeah but it is yes so it is not entities concepts mm. of the, and things of that kind but it has its own framework you know functioning which, which is what i was asking yeah and yeah that framework tends to be very very different the mm. computation so like the games the video games exactly, we have and so yeah. on they can create a completely different and reality and that 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 is a universe inside the computer which is running on its own theory right. logic premise right. whatever and so you may just have to put some gizmo out on your terrace and it gathers enough quote data and tells you that there's going to be a thunderstorm tomorrow or something that is pitched into the ground 2 feet deep and then it says oh there's going to be an earthquake 10 days from now by some super computation that goes on so you may not by then you would have sacrificed what we traditionally call a theory yes and having replaced it with some gigantic uh, i shouldn't say gigantic the computation would be gigantic but the basic ideas so of the it would be if the universe is essentially I mean, would be uh, orthogonal to what we call theory so if the universe is essentially computational then there's no need for theories that well theories are required because they uh, help you understand and understanding is a very very um, gratifying process to any human being let's take so, the human beings out of the equation partho uh, <laughs> computational firstly what do you understand by computation secondly the moment you bring in computational there is no need of theory no how easy is it to compute how complex is the computation that's also another theory which is what i was saying actually yeah. and what secondly what do you mean by computation and uh, well uh, to be very technical do you mean up to finite do you mean up to the first infinite if you have to build in the first infinite you have to insert in your theory some way of getting hold of that first infinite so what do you mean by that and that gives rise to various levels of computation uh, so complexity of computation and what is computable is yet is it self a theoretical the universe, question the see uni- but for example just very quickly to come back to this point is that predicting weather is a very complicated thing and we do have so you would have some kind of a phenomenological description which we would not call a theory you would have a model 
but not a theory. And something like this is happening even for what is known as quantum chromodynamics, right. what holds protons together. Right. We seem to have finally beginning to... We have the hope that we will have a theory for it. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, we are replacing it progressively by huge computations. In fact, new computers are being designed to uh, frame face this question. Do you distinguish theory from a law, Urjit? From? From law. What, law. Sorry? What no, becomes no. law? Law. Okay. No, I think theory, a bunch of laws together yes, make yes. up a theory. A theory is of bigger framework, but uh, laws are uh, within it. Yeah, theories are wardrobes. And laws yeah. explain smaller units. Laws That's are the robes. Right, specific yeah. things. So you theory can have Faraday's law. But law yeah. is the robe. Interesting. 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 I, I, I don't think, for instance, what uh, you, but I think you were also trying to say that uh, that just because it is being computed does not mean you take away the theory. Mm. Computation itself is a, whether you can call it modeling or the word you use was a picture of the world in your mind, is also theory in a sense. Because a computation might set up the process and run on for years. But the fact that it runs on its own logic, its own internal system, dynamics, whatever, is itself a kind of theorizing going on. We, we use the term theory and modeling as different things. That's all. What we call a theory, you ask the question, what, what are laws and what are theories? Each is a subset of the other. So I don't know whether we want to say that there is theory and then there is computation. I'm not quite sure that... No, so you are being like physicists when they were grappling with the ideas of energy. But just to draw an analogy, uh -huh. uh, when we come to heat as form of energy, uh -huh. it becomes, becomes much more thing. complicated yes. than energy of a mechanism. So, so similarly, theory, what theory means, when you get to highly computational quote theory, yeah. it has, a, has some different uh, ground rules. It doesn't give you the satisfaction of having that is understood. A that, that, but that that is he said, the, take the human out of the equation. Can you take the human out of the <laughs> equation? No, 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 no how no. can we? Everything no, is human. The, the universe is... Essentially computational. It's essentially... That is a human assumption. Is the universe axiomatic? In some, it's, it's, it's a nonsensical question, but are you... <laughs> no, but, but you see, the, the fact that you're asking the question itself signifies that you cannot take the human out of it. The, the point that you're making that is it axiomatic or is it computational is a human question, even if it's an erroneous <laughs> question. I know. You can't take the human out of the is equation that, because you're doing uh, observing. The crow in my balcony never asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> or not that we know that, know of. Whether it asks or not, we do right, not know. Right. <laughs> right? Or what questions it asks, we don't and know. And what answers it gets. <laughs> it's that old story of that salt doll going to the uh, uh, seas to state what is it. Mm. Once it goes, then it cannot. Sorry, what's that? What's the story? The salt, a doll made of salt uh -huh. tells others that I'm going to tell you what is the sea. So it runs to the sea, and then it. It's no longer part a dog. of the sea. <laughs> it's no longer a dog, <laughs> and the sea is no longer a sea. It's also a dog. <laughs> Interesting. Thank you. Thank you so much to all of you for making it, and we look forward to having you soon again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.